0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox.
1: In this episode, I visit with Ono Coldman. We look at leadership through understanding human behavior and human psychology. We talk about how to drive leadership down through your organization and how this can facilitate greater ethics and compliance in your company. Before we get started, a word from our network sponsor, Ethico.
0: Handling multiple compliance cases can often feel like navigating a complex labyrinth. Ethico introduces simplicity and intelligence into this chaos with our custom workflow automation. By automatically routing cases based on your unique criteria, we turn the maze into a clear path forward. Envision a compliance process that's not just effective, but also intuitive and adaptable to your needs. It's time to redefine efficiency in your workplace. Embark on this journey of transformation at ethico.com slash cpn book a demo read our white paper by tom fox titled the roi of compliance and try our free roi calculator to discover a world of seamless compliance management
1: hello everyone this is tom fox back for another episode and you are in for a treat today because i am in for a treat today with me Anno coleman anna first of all welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today absolutely mate thanks for having me on so, we are both with C Suite. Got introduced virtually at an event last week. He had some really interesting things to say, and I asked him if he would come on the pilot and talk about them, and he graciously agreed to. So, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me. Absolutely, mate.
0: I'm excited for your spicy questions that you
1: promised. <laughs> One thing you will not get here is spicy. We are strictly PG. Okay. Okay. Vanilla then. Vanilla Vanilla, but informative. Spice. Yeah. Okay. Good. Vanilla can be enjoyable too. But tell us a little bit about your professional background. And I'm guessing that you're not from Texas. No, you have to go further south. Yeah. So Although, tell us. Ironically,
0: t- I was born in Texas. So there you uh, go. Once do, a Texan, always a Texan. I do have some roots. So, yep. Yes.
1: That's good enough for me. That's good. But what are you? Tell us about your professional background, and actually start with your academic background because I find that as interesting a starting point to where you are now. So walk us through that. Sure,
0: we'll do. I did grow up in Australia to the extent that I grew up. And I came out here because of my US citizenship, it was easy to come back to the US. I was playing high-level water polo at the time, so I wanted a university that was uh, a good academic university and also had a good water polo program. I ended up getting into Stanford, which met both of those criteria. And I studied mechanical engineering, which I was very interested in at the time. How do you make things? And how do things work? Constantly pulling things apart and sometimes putting them back together, often with that one screw missing at the end. So trying to study how do things work because I wanted to make products to help the environment. That was really my big impetus at that age in my life. So I actually went into that field for the first five years after graduating and worked at a startup, two environmental startups actually, back to back. Did five years of design engineering there and then when the product was ready to go and we needed to get out there and put it out into the world, my mentor jokingly said someone needs to go out and sell it and you've got an accent, so what do you think? So he said, I, uh, sure, okay, I'll give it a try. He said, what are we? we're not going to send an engineer out to sell without any training because that's just going to end badly for everyone involved. Um, you've got years of product knowledge and you'll probably just be dumping it on people. So instead, learn to ask a couple questions and learn to listen. And I thought, wow, those are, seem like pretty useful skills. They never taught us that in engineering school, but actually pretty interesting. And then I started to go down this sales training course, did five years of professional sales and sales leadership, And it was then that I realized, as interested as I used to be in how do things work, I'm actually really interested in how do people work? And in particular, how do I tick and how can I be a better leader? And I was on a high performing team. Why is the team I'm on right now not quite as high performing as that championship team that I was on? What is that X factor or what is missing in the climate or in the makeup or in the roles or in the clarity? Or there's got to be something going on here. So then I started to. Just turned my attention to leadership and to teamwork. And then after my five years in sales, which felt like enough, I'm not really perfectly cut out to be a salesperson. Just like I wasn't a perfect swimmer, I was better at water polo because it's more of a game and there was more going on. Although I had some of the characteristics of being a good swimmer, I didn't have all the characteristics of being a great salesperson. I'm not very coin-driven, coin-operated for starters. So what I then did was left to start my own firm And actually, I teamed up with a mate of mine first, so I co-founded a consultancy that's still thriving and doing well to this day. after a few years, I left that and went out more on my own, doing essentially two things, leadership and teamwork. Those have still been the themes to this day. What's the name of your current business? Dynamic Leader Development.
1: In terms of who are your client base? Is it individuals? Is it corporations? Is it a mix? Is it all of the above, none of the above?
0: Yeah, so most of my work is done inside of organizations. The dynamic part in dynamic leader development, I think, is because we need to be dynamic as individuals and as leaders to respond to the environment that we're in. I think the development part and the dynamic development part is that a lot of manager training, quite frankly, is boring. And so when we got started in manager training, we almost wanted to put a billboard up. Manager training that doesn't suck was going to be our tagline. Because it's not just a, a list of skills or a checklist of here's how you should be going about your day and here's what your calendar should look like. And that kind of stuff gets pretty boring pretty quick, it's relatively easy to master once you know what you're supposed to do. For me, it's a more interesting challenge of how do we grow, which is called vertical development in the field. How do we grow and adapt and become more capable so that no matter what the skill is or the checklist is, we do that thing more effectively? And how do we filter the world in a more advanced and sophisticated way so that we're not as reactive and not getting triggered as easily as we might have in our younger years? So there's a sophistication and an adult development that's going on. And so I'll do that with, just to answer your question, with individual leaders. Last year, had an arrangement with a CTO, was helping him develop into being a better CTO and his team of VPs, helping them each develop individually and also helping the entire unit work better together.
1: I'd like to focus on the either, whatever you may call, not the top executive, but the next level down, or even down to middle management. Because my experience has been that people who are promoted to that level are usually either very hard workers, technically competent, and many times both. Mm -hmm. But those skills may not translate into leadership. And so how do you work with that level? And I will preface it even further by telling you this podcast is entitled Innovation and in Compliance. And although the word compliance is in the title, it's really about innovation. Mm-hmm. And But believe it or not, in the compliance world, middle managers are seen as not only a key player in communicating up and down the chain, but often they feel like they don't know how to do, they know how to be technically competent in what mm-hmm. they did, mm-hmm. but they don't feel uh, competent to take in information that someone may bring or communicate down for management the tone management wants to establish a corporate culture. So how would you help a company think through training that level of management?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, there's a famous book, it's on here on my shelf somewhere, The Knowing Doing Gap. And it talks about how to get across that gap and be able to do the behaviors that you know you should do. The assumption there is that we actually know what we should be doing. And so I would start there with um, one of the frameworks. I'm a big framework guy. You can tell I used to be an engineer. I'm still a little bit of an engineer at heart. So, um,
1: I believe that's called being
0: a geek. Yeah, so, okay, fine. I'll call it that too. <laughs> so uh, I'll give credit to the folks uh, who wrote The Leadership Pipeline. Um, that's one of the books that I'll reference. And there's a nice diagram there which shows as you're managing yourself as an individual contributor, there are certain behaviors that you need to master. And then when you make the turn to managing others, there are different behaviors that you need to master. And it's like a hairpin turn. And a lot of people don't make that turn. They just keep doing the same behaviors that got them promoted, not knowing or not realizing that actually different behaviors are called for. And it's almost the start of a new learning curve and a new career. So I think that's item number one is to make it very clear that this is a big transition we don't just want more of the same. Yes, you're a very smart, technical, brilliant, individual problem solver and contributor. That's not that's actually going to get in your way now at this next level because you're going to take all the air out of the room and you're going to become a bottleneck and you're going to disempower people. Instead, you need to get the answers out of others. You need to become more coach-like at this manager level. So those managers need to learn how to coach individuals technically. Then you go up another rung in the ladder. Now you're managing managers Again, back to the knowing, now you should be spending more of your time on the climate and the culture of the organization, because that's how you're going to get to scale. It's not through individual one-on-one conversations with individual contributors. It's through creating an environment, which is more of a high-performing environment. There's more accountability in there. There's more feedback in there. You're coaching managers on how to coach their ICs now. So that's a different skill set. So understand what is required of you, whatever altitude you're in the organization, And then understand what are those skill sets that are needed there. And then finally, what's in the way for you? uh, One of my favorite models is the leadership circle for looking at your own internal operating system. Um, I even have a little handy printout of it here somewhere uh, that I will show you once the cleaners get it. Anyway, we can put it in the notes. Uh,
1: If you can put it on your screen, I can share screen. Oh,
0: a little share screen. Okay, let's do that. All right. Here is an example of it. No, i've done this before or can i share a screen
1: that's what i meant i can share your screen
0: there we go okay so this is it looks a little bit complex at first and some people think it's like plans for the death star those are the real geeks the ones who go straight to star wars but actually if we simplify this real quick and so this is based on decades of research and is the gold standard in the field it's designed for executive 360s primarily But this one actually that you're seeing on the screen is not a 360. This is a self-assessment. So it works really well as a self-assessment as well. We cut the model in half here. The behaviors that you do want to do are these 18 behaviors and competencies on the top. And the behaviors that you want to do less of are these reactive 11 behaviors on the bottom here. So we all have certain patterns that we've developed, certain ways that we approach things. The people who are very... Task oriented and detail oriented, they will like to get the job. They like to do a lot. They like to have the status associated with them. They were the ones that got the work done. Or they just know more because they've been here long and they just tell people what to do. You can get results with this controlling style, but it's an overuse of willpower. These folks need to learn to go across and do more of the relationship based learning and, and leading. Sorry, before I even get into the details, I should say that the North South is one easy way to understand this. And in the East-West, a leader balances a focus on relationships and people and humans and feelings with a focus on tasks. So we need to get the thing done. When do we need to get it done by? Who's going to get what done? What's the deadline? Here's the vision. Here's the strategy. Here's the system that's going to get it done. Those competencies, some of us are a little more task-oriented and we just want to get the job done. We don't care so much what happened over the weekend or how your family is or how you feel or whatever, just get it done. Others are a little too, we might say, soft. We care maybe too much about the feelings and are people getting along and is all of that working. And that's not enough to be an effective leader either. You need to balance both of these wings. So anyway, so we have we can see with a map like this very clearly, okay, we know what good looks like and we know how we're getting in our own way. And that sets the stage for some development.
1: Well, you've also talked about creating teams and uh, having great teams. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you think are some of the key ingredients to creating and leading effective teams.
0: Yeah, sure. Are you ready for another framework? Absolutely. Okay, good. (laughs) So this one I'll credit to the consultants at LIW, who also spent 25 years working on this. Uh, The three C's is their easy to grasp framework not totally exhaustive and doesn't cover everything but i think it's quite helpful so a team needs clarity on where are we going and why and what is that ultimate destination what is the hill that we want to take here who's going to do what by the way and what are some of the key tasks and what's our strategy so a lot of leaders don't provide enough clarity or strategy or they do it once at the start of the year at the kickoff and then people get busy and leaders get busy i already told them once i don't want to repeat myself i don't want to insult them but actually no it's important to keep repeating and reinforcing that this is still the direction, even though that happened over there and that happened over there, but this is still the direction. So the teams need a, a really clear focus and to understand why. There's an emotional understanding that goes along with the rational understanding. Uh, 10% more margin this year or, or 20% greater sales. That's not enough of an emotional why. It makes sense rationally but the best leaders and teams will have that. Then we need a supportive climate to be able to achieve that goal. So what are the processes and systems? How do we need to be organized? Do we need a CRM? Do we need to be doing podcasts? Do we need to be social media at work? What do we need to be doing and building? How do we do handoffs between each other and the different departments? And then what does it feel like between us? Do we have a climate of psychological safety? Do we trust each other? Do we even like working together? Do we have personal connections? All of that is a supportive climate that needs to be customized a little bit to achieve the end goal. And then finally, the individuals on the team need to have the right competence. Clearly, they need the right technical competence to be able to do what they need to do. But they also need the right teamwork competence to be able to listen to each other and to be able to create psychological safety and to be able to give each other feedback and coach each other and hold each other accountable. The best teams hold each other accountable. It's not all the leader's job to supervise and to police. Um, People hold each other to a high bar. So if you get those three Cs, the clarity first, then the climate And then the competence, you're going to get on your way to building a high-performing team.
1: Now, let me overlay another level of complexity. You have team members who are Mm multi-generational. So you have baby boomers, you have Xers, you have millennials, you have Gen Zers, all who may be motivated by different things, but also who may respond to leadership in a different way. So I grew up in a military family, Mm -hmm. respond to leadership in very one, one way. Yes, sir. But not everyone has that experience. Some people really do want to know the why. And some people want to be motivated by the why. And some people are motivated by other things. How can you help a company or a leader navigate the multi-generational issues that we all bring to the table?
0: So it's a great question. How much time do we have? Okay, let's go for <laughs> I think everything starts with self-awareness. So... I need to know my own reactive patterns. If you're going back 10 minutes in our conversation, like how am I getting in my own way as a leader? How am I getting on my own way as a team member? And in the same way, what's important to me? And what motivates me? Sometimes we'll do this exercise with a group where we throw down a number of cards on the floor and have them go stand on what is their primary motivator right now? Is it getting rich? Is it getting to the next level? Is it learning something new? Is it having an adventure? Is it work-life balance? What is your actual motivation right now? And a lot of people, surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, don't know their own number one and two motivations right now. So there's some awareness building on the part of the team members. Then the leader needs to be able to capture that in some way and make sense of that and know that when I'm talking to Johnny or when I'm talking to Kunal, or whoever it might be, I know I have a sense of what motivates them and what doesn't. So in my one-on-ones, if I have a template for where I keep my notes for our one-on-ones, it should have something at the top about as a reminder about their motivators. And then I think if there's a group presentation style, it needs to cover several of these bases. So the, the original opening pitch for getting onto a new direction will have some purpose elements, it'll have some emotional elements, it'll have some rational elements, it'll have some what's-in-it-for-me elements. So I think there's a, an awareness building and then a way to capture that and then a way to leverage
1: that and to use that. I'd like to continue to move up the hierarchy in an organization to now I'd like to get really to the CEO or top executive level and ask you about what you've called outgrowing your current paradigms or overcoming your immunity to change. Could you talk us through that process and how you would help a, a senior leader? And I would even throw in the first 20 years of my life, I was told, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're a screw up. So guess what got burned into my psyche? Yeah. So how do you take uh, positive or negative traits that we have developed when we were much younger and really help shape that or even overcome those so that a person can fulfill or achieve Uh, their greatest potential, but also use that to inspire and lead others?
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful question. I think this is some of the really highest value work. ChatGPT can tell you what you should be doing as a leader and you have your eight or nine things, but then actually going and doing it, that's where the rubber meets the road and that's the hard part. And so I'm a big fan of the immunity to change. It gets center stage on the bookshelf there. And so this concept in brief is that when we're born into this world, We don't know how the world works, and we're a blank slate. Sure, we have some genetics and we have some programming, but we're discovering how does the world actually work. In our early years of our life, and it's unfortunate that we do most of our learning and deciding in those first 10, 11, 12, 15 years, and then our wisdom later gets a little bit locked in during those early years. So we decide, okay, the way to get ahead in the world, and whether this is something that's reinforced to me or something that I learn on my own, let's say for me, I decided the way to get ahead in the world was to be as likable as possible and be the teacher's pet and get really good grades. And then if I did that, then I would be the coach's pet as well. I would do well in sports. I would try hard and I would get ahead in sports. I would get ahead in academically. I would get to a good university. And then I was told all my life that if you just get to a good university, you'll be fine because you'll get jobs later and and things will will spiral upwards from there. So I have developed a paradigm then early on that says, okay, Figure out who's in power, figure out how to please them, and then do good work, and everything will be fine. Now, there are other people who developed a completely different paradigm, maybe more of a rebellious paradigm, and they realized, figure out where the system is, and then step outside of it, and then where are the high leverage points, and how can you actually tweak the system in your favor, or how can you break the system? That was never my paradigm. I was operating within it. Tell me what the rules are. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, and I'll do them everyone has a slightly different paradigm that they evolved Uh, some people have the paradigm of wanting to be the smartest in the room that's how i decided when i was 10 11 years old i'm going to be going to the science olympiad and i'm going to play bridge and i'm going to be in the chess club and i'm going to be smarter than all you plebeians and so that's how i'm going to get ahead i'll be the smartest person in the room okay that kind of works so does being the pet and so does being the achiever and so does being the outsider but at some level they all have their limits so When I work with senior leadership, they cast such a long shadow over the organization because people look to the leaders, bring the weather, it says here, if you can read that sideways or backwards. So how are you showing up as a leader actually makes a huge difference, more so maybe than your strategy or more so than the resources that you're able to get or command or the decisions that you make, your presence, your being, that informs all of your decisions, how you are with people. So what tone are you setting? And do you know that you're setting it? So again, awareness, number one. And then we can actually map that. There's a process called paradigm mapping, or we map the immune system and recognize, okay, this is how all the pieces fit together, and this is why you do what you do. Because even if I'm one of those people that takes over meetings, and I'm a bit of a tyrant and a bit of a dictator, there's a good reason why I'm doing that. It's the best behavior that I've come up with so far for creating safety and for getting results. Or if I'm a pushover, that's the best behavior I've come up with so far. There's good reasons for that. So we don't just cut those behaviors off and hope that they don't come back. We don't just do a New Year's resolution program and say, okay, from now on, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and run every day. Or from now on, every meeting, I'm going to be the last to speak. I don't think those changes really work in an enduring way if they're fighting the internal system that has already been going for 20, 30, 40 years and has plenty of momentum. So see the system interrupt the system, and then redesign the system with some conscious choice now, we can actually choose a new way of being in the world. So that's the process in a nutshell, Then,
1: Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you, if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or really any of the topics we've touched on or your business, what would be the best place or places for them to go?
0: Sure. So probably the two main places are LinkedIn and my website directly they'll both point to each other. If you want to find me on LinkedIn, you can see my name. There are actually some honours on LinkedIn, but there are not too many honour cool months. And my website is dynamicleaderdev.com.
1: I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Absolutely, mate. Did you learn anything? Did you have fun? I scored 11, or rather, you scored 11 on both. <laughs> Sweet ass. Thanks, Tom. Ethico is this month's network sponsor for the Compliance Podcast Network. Ethico is offering a special white paper I've authored on the ROI of compliance, and they have developed an ROI calculator that you can use to demonstrate the ROI of your compliance program. Check out the show notes and find out more about the Ethico ROI calculator. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. I'd also like to tell you about the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, the Daily Compliance Tip of the Day. In this new podcast series, I give you one tip that you can use to incorporate into your compliance program or you can use to build up with other tips to create a more effective compliance program going forward. Check out the Compliance Tip of the Day on the Compliance Podcast Network.